who believes, believes in what your son did on that cross for them, believes that he rose three days later, just as the scriptures say, just as the witnesses say. God, we are thankful for that. We are thankful that you love us, that you care about us. We pray that you'd help us, help us to live in light of those truths because we know it changes how we live, or at least it should. God, I would pray that you would help us today to hear from you, from your word. That's why you've given it to us, so we might know you, so we might know how we ought to live. So we pray that you'd help us now as we look into that. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you noticed, but there's some things happening up here on the stage. It's kind of fun, isn't it, to get ready each year for uh, Easter our resurrection celebration that we have every single year. They're going to be doing a, a bunch of uh, dramatic things up here next week. This week, it's just going to be me, okay? <laughs> Nothing too dramatic, but uh, I do want to be able to prepare you this week for what you're going to be seeing next week, and the way of preparation this week is going to be reminding you that the story of the cross, the truth uh, that we see in Scripture about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection it's not just something that we tell you today, a little uh, tidbit or an encouragement to help you be more fulfilled personally in your life, although following Christ will make you a fulfilled person. Amen? Amen? But the whole idea about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was that there is a plan that's far bigger than you. From the beginning of time through the end of time, God is in full control, and the centerpiece of that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a person far more important than any one of us. And we forget sometimes the significant pieces of that story, uh, of the entire picture. Uh, we sometimes separate ourselves from that, and, and we make it all about the minutia of the details of our personal life. So this week, I just want to step into one of those threads, one of those pictures, and remind you that there are different things that even as Christ presents himself as a prophet, priest, and king, as he presents himself to the Jews, he was telling them, I'm a fulfillment of these pictures that you have been watching for generations. Pretty important thing. Uh, for any uh, man that uh, is stuck on a regular basis watching his kids, you know that you have been hungry for a video that you can watch with your kids and appreciate the actors, right? It's not always Disney. You don't always have a great time watching the cartoons. So I can remember how excited I was when I saw that there was going to be a movie for kids called The Pacifier that Vin Diesel was going to be a part of, all right? I didn't know how he was going to speak with his voice. It seems like, uh, I mean, I know he made it through the third grade, but I think that one of the things that he does is uh, in his way of speaking, he scares children like as a job description. So I was intrigued by that. And one of the things that they did in this little movie, and I'm not telling you to go out and uh, watch a movie, but I do think there was something intriguing that happened. In this one, he is supposed to do this little dance called the Peter Panda Dance right? Anybody? Okay, I just only want men's hands. Any of you men seen this in here? Look at that. Yes, we're going to start a club. Hello. <laughs> I am filling your name, and I've watched the Peter Panda dance. <laughs> Peter Panda dance, here's what happens. He, he, he begins at the beginning, and he says, you get down low, so low, you're below the floor, and uh, you walk like a crab, and then you jump up, hop three times forward, 
three times back, roll on the floor till you can't roll no more, and he has this whole little dance that he does. I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> I refuse. But in this entire dance, what you find out was this was taught by a father to his kids, and at first it just seems like this goofy little thing to make one of the children go to sleep. But what you find out is after the death of this father, this dance actually is the key to unlock a vault to a treasure chest that actually is the whole point of the story. This little thing that he's been doing all along actually prepared them for the greater treasure that would come at the end of the movie. What we have buried in the Old Testament and all the law and the sacrificial system, in fact, the New Testament highlights this for us, is that year after year, season after season, moment after moment, they were going through rituals and processes that were of significance to them. Important things. They had great value. But the significance to them, they didn't even understand, would only be fully realized when Christ died, was buried, and rise again to say all of those things that you were doing were a picture of what I have fulfilled. I have fulfilled all of those pictures. And this morning, I would like to just touch on one aspect of that, one that we quite often miss when we think of Christ as the priest. In your notes, the point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, has not just come to fit into earthly system of priestly ministry as the best and final human priest, but he has come to fulfill and put an end to that system and to orient all our attention on himself, ministering for us in heaven. The Old Testament tabernacle, priests, and sacrifices were shadows the reality has come and the shadows pass away. Pretend for a moment that you are a child. Suppose that you and your mom get separated in the grocery store and you start to get scared and panic and you don't know which way to go. You run to the end of the aisle and just before you start to cry, you see a shadow on the floor at the end of the aisle that looks just like your mom. It made you really happy. You feel hope. But which is better? The happiness of seeing the shadow or having your mom step around the corner and it's really her. That's the way it is when Jesus comes to be our high priest. We're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Now I know that this week, the week before Easter, it, it's a little bit of a deep dive. I want you to stay with me because I really do think there are some intriguing things in here. So you guys ready for this? We're going to go with Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's stand and read just a few passages. Hebrews 8 and 9 in your Bibles. Turn there with me, and this is what the Scripture says. Chapter 8, verse 1, now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesties in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Key phrase. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all the things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship. 
and the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which there was a lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered with all, on all sides with gold which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the, tab- the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy-, mercy seat. But these things we cannot now speak of in detail. Now when these things had been so prepared, the priests continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But in the second, only the high priest enters once a year not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 23 at the end there, therefore it's necessary for the copies of the things in heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have had need to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, after being offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at these things, I pray that uh, you would give us insight. Help us. Uh, Many times we don't think about these. They sound so foreign, so complicated. Uh, And to our modern mind, sometimes... Uh, They seem so distant. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see not just that these are a necessary complication, but these are pictures that unpack for us your love for us. What was accomplished? Every single little episode that they would participate in throughout the course of a year, Father, was meant to picture things that would be finished for us by Christ. Help us to drink that in, to be prepared, to be devoted to focusing on Christ rather than ourself as the one who finishes the faith. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, like I said, it's a little bit of a deep dive, but we got to get ready for whatever is going to be on this stage next week. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to hear the responses. Uh, It is going to be a lot of fun. Next week, we're going to be focusing on a place, one location that throughout time was of significance, a location that quite often we miss as we devotionally read through the scriptures. We miss that each of these high moments that we're going to walk through next week all happen on the same piece of land. And we're not talking about all of Israel, one central location. That'll be important next week. But to get ready, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ as the priest. Uh, In order for Jesus to be Messiah, he had to be a prophet, priest, and king. I think it's easy when I have asked other believers uh, what they think about Christ as king, they can usually give me some indications of how Christ is the king. 
what even uh, the prophecies had said about him, that he would be a Davidic king, that there would be an earthly rule and a kingdom that was set up for him, but also what it means for him to be the king of all creation. Uh, we can unpack that usually. And a prophet, it seems pretty easy to see how Christ was a prophet in not only what he would foretell and foretell, but how he would heal and interact with people. Uh, it was obvious that Christ was sent of God and had specific things to reveal to the people, and he had a power that was unique. It doesn't come along all the time. Only every so often you see that in Scripture. Christ was a unique king and prophet. But when we talk about priests, most of the time uh, what we get is a, a response, or maybe this is even in your own heart, when you think of Christ as priest, most often what we think about is just that he's in heaven taking care of whatever he needs to take care of up there, but at least I don't have to sacrifice all the time. Christ took care of that once for all, and we kind of leave it at that simple picture. But I don't think that that does justice to what should be happening in our heart, because there is such a great reflection that can happen in our Christian life today when we think of Christ as the one who is our high priest, who's taking care of everything that is necessary for life and godliness in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Here is this one that is our advocate. Amen? So what does that mean? A, a priest had to be from the right line. He had to know how to address and atone for every single sin. Now, I want you to think about the fact that a priest would be the one that would hear those confessions and then be able to take that sin and say, this is specifically what we have to do to address that sin in your life. This is how to make sure that it can be expunged, removed, that it wouldn't be on your record. He had to know how to lead in high moments. He had to know how to remain pure so that any offerings that he would make would not be defiled. He had to be properly dressed. The scriptures tell us that he had to speak to the people for God. And then he was the one that would speak to God for the people. He was the center point of everything that was going on in the temple and in all of their worship and in all of their festivals. He was the one that would guide those practices to make sure that they were celebrating what they were supposed to be celebrating and not adulterating the Word of God. There's an amazing thing that, uh, a picture that was actually built into the uniform that the high priest would wear. On each of his shoulder boards, as it were, there were a, a couple of stones, and on each of those stones, uh, on one side and then the other, there were six names, 12 names total, but six names on the right and the left on his shoulder, and then all 12 names were written over his heart. On his shoulder, under, understanding that the weight of ministry was on his shoulders, that the ability to find forgiveness was on his shoulders, were the names of all of Israel, every tribe of Israel, and a picture uh, in that on his shoulders, the names of all the faithful were there. If he didn't get it right, especially on the high day of atonement, they were not forgiven. That is a weighty experience. That is a weighty expectation. But then over his heart, it wasn't just supposed to be that he would carry that kind of ponderous expectation, but over his heart were the 12 names, and that is that he wasn't just supposed to carry them and, and walk through ceremony, but he was supposed to have compassion on them, that the only reason that these offerings were able to be made was because of the love of God for man. Those were the things that were on his heart as he would move through his ceremonies. I want to give you three pictures, and I, I think we can do this quickly. Three pictures 
of how Christ is our high priest, and I pray that it inspires you to read in the scriptures this week on your own, devotionally, uh, these pictures that even come from the book of Leviticus. Who here has spent devotional time in the book of Leviticus this week? No one? That's a shocker. Such fun reading. All right? I'm going to encourage you to look in there and find a good commentary that will help you unpack that because it's actually loaded with Jews. You can't understand the book of Hebrews if you haven't read Leviticus. You can't. You've got to read them side by side. As a priest, first thing you'd have to see here, as a priest, the names of the faithful are written on his heart, on his shoulders and on his heart as he walked among the symbols. In the very beginning of that passage we read, it said the main point of what has been said is this. We have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens. A minister in the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Uh, It says here, verse 5, that all of these offerings and all of these gifts offered according to the law serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, symbols of what is real. There's a whole bunch of symbols that they would walk through as they would come into that tabernacle complex, uh, the first one that Moses actually built. You would uh, walk right by this great big um, brazen altar. Ultimately, we are shown that that is a picture of Christ's death and burial on our behalf, that there was a great sacrifice that is necessary for any of us to approach the living God. You would pass this great big sea, this uh, Uh, laver that was filled, the picture of washing and cleansing that's necessary in order to come before God. You would enter into that next area, and only a priest could go into that next area. There'd be a a table of showbread, and there would be uh, a lampstand that was there, and there was incense right before you'd go into the Holy of Holies. Uh, That showbread that was there was literally called the, the bread of the presence, and it was the idea that the face of God was always toward those that are believers giving them everything that they need. All of their provision would come from him. Do you believe that? The uh, lampstand was a picture of what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to have all of the light in your life and inside that complex come from uh, the light of God. The only way to be able to see what you are supposed to do in the presence of God is if the Holy Spirit is guiding you. That was the picture. And then incense right there at the door. Uh, The incense was a picture of not only a sweet sacrifice, but it also is pictured all the way through to the book of Revelation. It is a picture of the prayers of the saints. I actually had a conversation with three different individuals as we were coming in uh, to the building here about how awesome prayer is and how uncommon it can be. Do you feel that? Have you ever found in your life a a season in your life where all you do is shoot up arrow prayers? Even if you say that you're going to be praying for somebody other than yourself or the kids or praying about the fact that you're late to work right? If you get beyond that, do you find that our prayers are just short, quick sequences? You snap off a memo to God. You text Him real quick. When's the last time you just sat down and you allowed the Spirit of God to fill up your heart and begin to speak about those that are in need? You become aware of those that are lost. You are filled up with concern for those that are around you, that the prayers that you have are for real and significant and impassioned things that the Scripture says we're supposed to be about. He says when that begins to happen, there is a sweet aroma that brings you right into the presence of God. That was the picture. So they walked through all of these pictures. But before you even got to the tabernacle, do you know that from a distance they were carrying something that was significant? There's a picture that we have here of 
This is just the tabernacle, okay, that they had built there. And I, and I, I picked a, a picture here that actually has these four layers. But from a distance, all of Israel was camped around this tabernacle. They would see the tabernacle, and they would see these four layers because one part of that corner could be just drawn up. So each of these layers were evident as you were looking at it from a distance. You could see the flap of each of these uh, coverings there. And the first covering that you had actually had this, this uh, clean white on the inside, and then it had the, the, the purple, blue, gold, and crimson sewn into it with pictures of angels. It was an idea of perfect perfection, and, and it was to remind you of the heavens. There was a purity, right? In order for the high priest to go and offer God, he had to pass through the heavens. The next layer that was over the top of it was actually goat's hair dyed black, Anybody have the wordless book? Goat's hair dyed black, a picture of sin. Sin that ended up covering up the beauty of the heavens. The next layer that was over the top of that that you could see from a distance was ram skins dyed red. It's a picture of blood that was necessary in order to cleanse that goat's hair in order to get back to what was perfect. And over the top of that is something that was very mysterious. You see on their badger skins, if you talk to most uh, uh, Jewish theologians, they would say that they, they don't believe that it could be badger skins or that it could be porpoise skins because both of those were unclean animals. In fact, they would say that it's possible maybe that it was a color, but they can't be sure because it seems like this root uh, word that is there uh, could only be used to cosh for badgers. There's a similarity to it. What they said was for sure that the color from a distance did not have any look or beauty that you would be drawn to it. Sounds like Isaiah 53, doesn't it? But another interesting thing about that root word is that a badger and a porpoise, uh, all of these creatures that they say it could possibly be, are all known. If, if, Hebrews, if the Hebrew language is a descriptive language, it is for one that goes in and comes out again. The outside covering is a picture of Christ. Here you have the heavens covered over by sin, redeemed by blood, by one who goes in and comes out again. They were carrying the wordless book with them everywhere that they went, and the high priest was the one who would go into that place as the officiant and put on display everything for you and I. Is that significant? Folks, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah? Okay, we should do that for VBS, I think, right? <laughs> Not all the sacrifice piece, but just the tent, okay? Make it cleaned up for kids, but man, what a powerful picture the wordless book. He walked among symbols. But there's a second thing that the high priest did. He led in celebrations all of the feasts of the Lord. I think we put it there in your notes for you uh, that there were four feasts in the spring and there were three that were in the fall. Uh, one theologian has noted that uh, it seems like Israel was celebrating every single year a picture of all of time from the beginning to the end. And so these feasts would put on display uh, ages or things that they would learn about God in different seasons. Uh, it's a picture of the Old and New Testament, the fulfillment of what Christ did at the beginning and what he is coming to absolutely fulfill in the end. You have all of these festivals that were meant to be a time of celebration and reminder to Israel. And the high priest was the one that made sure that every single one of them got pulled off perfectly. The four feasts in the spring, there was a feast of Passover, 
The center point of that was a Passover lamb, the blood, remember, that was put uh, at that very first Passover on the lentil post to show that there was a believer that was there. When the blood was visible, death would pass over. What a perfect picture of Christ. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Leviticus 23. Uh, it's a reminder, first of all, of the haste of how quickly you were to get away from captivity. When you get set free... The implication of Scripture is you should spring from that place and run from it as fast as you can, right? Don't pack. Don't spend time hanging out, looking around. All of the stories that talk about leaving a place that could uh, capture you or destroy you talk about leaving in haste. If you don't, you turn around, you, you turn into a pillar of salt, you do whatever. There's all kinds of bad things that happen when you're just hanging out when destruction comes. But a bigger part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was they would sweep the entire house for leaven, which was a picture of sin. It's the idea that once you have been set free, there still is the hope and expectation that you will not run back to that which captured you, but that you will live a life, that you will celebrate a life that is free from sin, that you will continue to pursue and sweep your house, go through every effort you can to remove sin from your presence. Now we can just stop and think about that for a moment. How hard is that to do in our culture? It's one thing to have a ceremony where you walk through and mom in some place has put a little pile of leaven and you can sweep that away and say, ceremonially, we have kept the house free from leaven. But how much harder is it to get rid of those little tiny things that are buried in our everyday life that you know are trails that lead you right back to that which is captivity? Are there any sin trails left in your house? The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a reminder that we've got to go through the house, make sure that it's clean so that we don't end up trapped back in our Egypt experience. The Feast of First Fruits. That's a picture of resurrection where they would take the first fruits. If all winter long is a picture of death in the spring, you have these first things after the planting. The first uh, stalks that would rise up would be presented to the Lord, and it was a picture of resurrection. After there was nothing there, now you have fruit. It was a picture of Christ. And the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost is what it was called. That was at the end of that first big harvest. You would bring in the harvest and you would celebrate God's provision. It's a picture in the New Testament of the church. God had planted something that they did not anticipate. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles and all of the nations, a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that the nations would be glad. There was something planted there that they all would celebrate and participate in. The harvest was far bigger than they could have anticipated. Three feasts in the fall, Feast of Trumpets, it's a picture of the regathering of Israel into the land. It's also a picture of the gathering of the saints. The Feast of Atonement, we'll tackle a little bit more of that in just a moment, but it was a national day of repentance. Imagine for a moment in the United States, if we actually took time and we had one sacrifice, it was a picture of how ugly it is in God's eyes, all of the filth we participate in, the way that we talk, the things that we live out. And in that high moment, the entire nation sat with bowed heads and said, am I righteous before the living God? Have I been acting in a way that honors him? How would that alter the discussion day in and day out? Just follow your news feed on your iPhone, right? Pretty encouraging stuff. <laughs> stuff God would say, yeah, man, I'm really glad that's going on. That's how I would talk. That's how I would express myself. That's how I would uh, highlight my values. Man, a, a national day of cleansing would be a gift, wouldn't it? 
where we all collectively look inward and say, what am I doing to add to the filth in this world? High Day of Atonement was a day where everyone looked at their own way that they were messing up the project. And the Feast of Tabernacles. They would gather in booths. I've often thought this would be a great family retreat, right? Get everybody in tents, and you have just the provisions that you've brought, right? And you talk about how for 40 years in the desert, it wasn't just about bringing a week's provision where you've had to load up the minivan. Imagine all of the preparations you make just for an over-the-weekend trip. For 40 years, God provided for his people to show them that even when they had rejected his plan A, he had not rejected them. He would carry them through. Their clothing didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They had food wherever they went. It is a massive miracle. God still loves us when we are weak. It's a great message for kids, family members, and for modern believers. At the center of it all, the high priest made sure that these feasts were pulled off perfectly. Now, the question comes in my mind, somebody has asked this, what what do lollipops, truffles, and Christianity all have in common? There's something sweet at the center that makes it all worth it, right? That is the picture that we have with all of these feasts. There is a celebration that would come, but if you were just about the celebration, if you were just about the extravaganza, if it was all about the trappings of going to Jerusalem or participating in these things, if it was just about the throng and what you got to wear, you would have missed the point. The whole point was you were moving toward the center in order to experience forgiveness, to have a relationship with God, and the center of that communication was the high priest. The high priest was the one that made sure that you got everything done so that you knew I'm in right standing with him and I can celebrate with all of them. He was the one that helped tie all of that together. Together, He was at the very center of it all and it is only appropriate that Christ is the picture of the high priest. That high priest was uh, uh, necessary, that role was necessary in order for us to understand all of the things that Christ does on a daily basis in order for you and I to be at peace with the living God. Third one, are you guys doing okay? Man, I know, we're just banging through a whole bunch of stuff, all right? These pictures are important. And they are of great value, even if they sometimes are foreign to us in this day and age. The last picture I want you to to wrap your mind around. And I want you to see how powerful it is that Christ put these things on display. But go back to that high day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The priest had all the names of the faithful on his heart as he atoned for sin. We actually have a picture here of the high priest's adornment that he would wear. He had uh, the, the miter, the hat that he would wear, this big bulbous hat, so you could see wherever he was. Uh, right on his forehead, there was written, Holy to the Lord, a golden label that was on his forehead. The shoulder pieces that you see, the ephod, the girdle, the breastplate, there was this whole system that would be on his shoulders and on his chest, uh, and it was weighty. It had gold and these precious stones and a storage pocket for Uh, other things. You you had all of this weightiness that would settle on him when he would put that picture uh, over the top of what was called his golden robes. He had blue, that picture of royalty, the bells and pomegranates at the bottom. If those stopped tingling, they knew something went wrong. And the white robe, 
picture of purity underneath that. He had all of these golden robes. In fact, he was the only one that was allowed to dress this way. When the high priest came through, you could hear the movement. You could see in these regal robes that this is the one that was the most central uh, priest to everything that was going on in the temple, in the complex. It was a profound picture, a regal picture. Uh, he would come through there, and even though there were kings on the outside, the one that ruled the day on the inside of that complex was this one in royal golden vestments, they called them, as he would go through that temple complex. But then there was something that happened on the high day of atonement. Uh, he had his royal robes, and he would go into a special chamber in the back. There was a thin veil that was there in that room, and, in, and behind that thin veil, he would take off those golden robes. There actually was a basin that was covered in gold, and he would bathe in this basin, and then he would put on the robes of a commoner, common priest. He would put on white robes. He would begin the sacrifice with uh, these two goats that were there. A picture we'll unpack just a little bit. Uh, but it's the scapegoat. In that white robe is the high priest in the, the center. There he is in just a commoner's robe. And then also he would take the blood from one of those goats into the Holy of Holies. And you would actually see uh, him go through that veil as just a common person offering these things before the living God. A picture of cleansing, of redemption, of freedom from sin. If we go back to that picture of the two goats, there's something significant. You see on the right and the left, there's a cord in those priests' hands. There actually was a, uh, a red thread that they would wrap around those. The high priest would lay off those golden robes. He would put on his common robes, and then he would go and he would lay his hands on these two goats. There were two goats that would face all of the people. One of those goats uh, was actually named for Yahweh. It was Yahweh's goat, all right? The other one was named Azazel, or, or literally, I, I think the best way to translate somebody had said was the you get out of here goat, okay? So you have Yahweh's goat and you get out of here goat are standing in front of him. Yahweh's goat, they would put that scarlet thread around its neck and the other one, uh, they would tie it to its horns. The one goat would be sacrificed, a picture of sacrifice, that blood would be taken in for the cleansing of all of Israel. The other goat, the get-out-of-here goat, they would look at that, and throughout all of the day, all of the ceremonies, all of the sin that would be inferred, all of the people would gather together. They would look at that goat, and they would uh, stretch their hands out. You, you, they would lay the sins of all of the people on this one goat. And so where one goes in for the cleansing, the, its death was necessary. The other was driven out into the wilderness. And there was a system they actually put in place so that they would not violate uh, God's plan, about a half of a Sunday or a half of a Sabbath day journey, uh, they had nine different stations that would take them all the way out to what was officially labeled the wilderness outside of Jerusalem. And so for each of these little stations, they had a, a flag system that was there. And at the very beginning, they would take this goat out of the temple complex and they would take it out to the Mount of Olives. Believe that. Uh, they would go right across this place that was so central to Christ, the picture where he is going to return, uh, this centerpiece uh, in his teachings. They would go across the Mount of Olives, 
And then at each of these stations, uh, the priest, one priest would hand it off to the next one so that somebody would guide this goat all the way out to the wilderness where it was to be abandoned. When they got to the Mount of Olives, actually they preferred that it would be somebody that was a stranger coming from the outside, so a convert to Judaism, that would take them the next stage. The idea was that a stranger would drive this goat, that another group would drive this goat into the wilderness for our sin. They would take it all the way to the very edge. Now, apparently what had happened was that sometime the goat got hungry and had wandered back into Jerusalem in the past. They didn't want this to happen where their sin would make itself present once again in that holy city. So they actually would go all the way out that nine different stations, one at a time. They would take that scarlet cord off of the goat's horns. They would lead it off of a cliff. This goat would die, and then they would come back to announce that the sin had left all the way into the wilderness, that all of the sin in the camp had been removed through this one that was separated from them. And they would tie that red cord out to the front of the temple. Now, what uh, the Mishnah says is that there actually was a miracle in certain seasons that had happened. This is just Jewish lore. But there actually was a season where that red cord, when the, the, the goat would be shoved off of the top, that it would turn white. They would look for it to turn from red to white when they were forgiven. The reason that's important is they said for 40 years, from A.D. 30 to A.D. 70, the destruction of the temple, during the entire time that Christ was there, it never turned from red to white. God didn't accept that sacrifice because the sacrifice, the perfect one, was there in their presence. It's actually an opportunity you can have to talk to even uh, Jewish people today. Here is Christ, the one that was pictured in these two goats, the one that was sacrificed and the one that was driven away for us. The only blood that can be offered in the temple. All of these things offered by a high priest. A high priest who laid aside his golden robes to become common in order to offer this sacrifice and at the end of the day would put on his golden robes again. When we just say Christ is our high priest, a lot of times we miss the significance. Amen? Amen? Christ did all of these things, and all of these pictures weren't buried or hidden. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theorist that came up with the connections later. It was Jewish believers who said, by the hand of God, these are all the things that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He did this so you would understand the significance of what is being done in heaven on your behalf. You're clean. You are free. You can celebrate. It's all been accomplished. It is all finished in one moment on the cross by Christ. He has completed it all. And he's your high priest now saying, I've done everything necessary to atone. In fact, the mercy seat, the actual name transliterated as you bring that into the Greek languages, propitiation, I am the full payment. The full payment for everything. You can take a deep breath, okay? Oh, man. Uh, that was theology right there, huh? A little bit heavy. Let me ask you this, though. They say that while they were waiting for that goat to be driven away and then for the flag signals to come back and say that all of the sin had been rejected and that God had accepted that full payment, that there was hushed silence at the tabernacle, that they would eagerly await the arrival of the high priest to announce God had accepted their sacrifice. They would wait in hush sides wondering, am I taken care of? Is my sin forgiven? How can we 
um, even begin to understand what that was like. I, I honestly was struggling with, for a way to put that into a connection that many of us would uh, be able to wrap our minds around today, especially if you're here and you're visiting. You're just curious. It's the Easter season. You knew that, hey, man, people go to church during this time. How is it that we can put that in a way uh, that you could wrap your mind around it? There was two pictures that come to mind. First was uh, th- there's a, a TV show that's out there where if you're going to be somebody of significance, I, I believe, or rejected, I can't remember what the story is, you get a rose, Right? And they're waiting to see who's going to get a rose. Is that good or bad, by the way? I, I don't. Is the rose good? Okay, rose is good. All right. I'll take that. Uh, how about this? I can understand this a little bit more. Are you waiting to get your tiki light snuffed? Right? Are you still on the island or coming back? These are our cultural symbols. That's how deep we are. And they're all about us, by the way, aren't they? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be snuffed out? Am I going to be removed from the island, or do I get to continue to participate? These are cultural symbols that were already of great significance to those early believers, and they understood that in a far greater way than getting a rose or waiting to find out if your light had been snuffed out, Christ actually came to proclaim that he was here not just to take care of some general sins, but your personal sins. He moved it from a general idea and a general thing for all of Israel right down to specifically your concern, the things that are filling your mind, the worry that you would have in your heart, is my sin forgiven? It doesn't have to be a worry anymore. He came to give you that promise. It is yours. And every symbol that, that, that God could muster to make that significant, he had already planted into their culture. So when it said Christ came as the perfect high priest to set you free, they settled. We're set free. The only way, the only thing that we need to do is to put our faith in that finished work. Amen? Christ has finished it all. There are a lot of things that we could uh, continue and unpack from there, but this is what I would encourage you to do during the course of this week as you get ready for our Easter celebration this next uh, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. I would have you just begin to look devotionally at some of those statements, what it was that Christ finished on the cross and what he did for you. Meditate on those things and give thanks this week. Tell them to your children. Respond to them in prayer, but don't walk away without allowing it to affect you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the power of your word. We're thankful for uh, the way that you use that to change our thinking. I do pray, Father, that this morning you would help us, even as we take this uh, kind of a deep dive this Sunday morning into uh, these pictures of Christ, what he fulfilled as our high priest. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be in awe, that there would be a sense of uh, the magnitude of it, the significance of it, that it took all of these pictures um, in order for us to see what one person had accomplished on our behalf. Father, help us to be transformed by that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.